Ski, Shoot, Repeat, a biathlon podcast, hosted by Lizzie Boyle. Episode 21, Beyond Seven Mountains. Welcome to Ski Shoot Repeat, a biathlon podcast hosted by me, Lizzie Boyle. This is a great time to join our podcast audience as we're gearing up for the 2023-24 World Cup biathlon and para-biathlon season. So we're going back to basics today, getting ourselves all set up for a whole new series of sporting and storytelling adventures. First things first, biathlon. Every time I tell someone I run a podcast about biathlon, they say, that's great, but what's biathlon? I guess in a world of pentathlons, heptathlons and decathlons, the only thing you can be sure about is that a biathlon is made up of two somethings. When I tell people what those two somethings are, the most common response is, holy shit, how is that even a thing? So let's recap. Biathlon combines one of the most physically arduous sports with one that rewards calmness and accuracy. The arduous bit, cross-country skiing. The accuracy bit, shooting. Imagine running up and down stairs half a dozen times and then trying to thread a needle. Now do that on snow. Am I making it sound hard? Good, because it really, really is. Once you watch enough on TV, you become slightly immunized. You forget how amazing great athletes are because they're the ones you see all of the time. So let's start with this. Biathlon is physically and mentally one of the toughest sports you could even attempt. So biathlon involves cross-country skiing, usually in the modern skating style of skiing, rather than the classic parallel skis type approach. Competitors ski round a circuit, then pause to shoot at five targets. That cross-country skiing element is going to work every muscle group you can imagine and send your pulse upwards of 180 beats per minute. Then you come into a shooting range, take a few deep breaths, and try to shoot at targets that are 50 meters away. Now there are different positions for skiing and shooting depending on the discipline. When they come into the shooting range, Biathlon World Cup competitors will either be prone, so lying on their bellies, or standing. The targets are four and a half centimeters in diameter when you're lying down, or 11 and a half centimeters when you're standing up. So that's a golf ball sized target for the prone shoot and maybe a saucer for the standing shoot, 50 meters away. In parabiathlon, athletes may ski in a standing or sitting position and then shoot in either a prone or sitting position depending on their abilities. The targets are 10 meters away. Parabiathletes don't ski carrying their rifles Rather, they're handed to them by a coach or they're fixed at the range, depending on the impairment. For visually impaired athletes, aiming is done through the use of acoustic signals. The closer your aim, the louder the sound. We're getting into Batman territory already here, which is just awesome. There are different lengths of race and different numbers of shoots, and I'll go into these in more detail as we get closer to the season kickoff in a couple of weeks. But broadly speaking, the longer the race, 
the more shoots there are. So you can be a bit slow and steady on your skis, but a crack shot, and still beat someone who's super fast but inaccurate on the range. At least, that's the theory. The other thing to mention before we get serious, if you miss a target, there's some sort of penalty. Now, depending on the race format, this might be a time penalty tagged onto your race time. More commonly, it's a journey around the penalty loop, the naughty step of biathlon, which adds extra ski distance to your race and, crucially, can make you even more tired than you already were. At its basic level, biathlon comes down to ski, shoot, repeat, which would be a great name for a podcast. At a deeper level, it comes down to an amazing balancing act between physical exertion and an almost spiritual calm, between the desire to race on the tracks and the need to focus on a pinpoint target and make split-second decisions, between being lost out in the snowy forests and standing on a mat in front of tens of thousands of people, holding their breath, waiting for you to take a shot. I can get quite nerdy about this, which is good from a podcaster, in terms of athletes, techniques and the history of the sport. Or, as you'll find from this series, anything tangential that comes along. In our episodes last season, we explored all sorts of topics, from the history of the ski suit, to women's participation in winter sport, and from the competitive edge between siblings, to the chemical and physical properties of snow. Feel free to dive into the archives at ski shoot repeat podbean.com or search Ski Shoot Repeat wherever you get your podcasts. On Podbean, you'll find links to transcripts of episodes, and I'll be publishing more of the written material this year for those who like to sit, read, and research further. Each sporting season tells a story, whether it's biathlon or football, gymnastics or golf. We look across a season of events and we see the threads of narratives. We see heroes and villains, long-established kings and queens, upstarts. We see evolutions in skill and revolutions in technique or technology. And each race is a story within that story. Tolstoy said that all great literature is one of two stories, a man goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town. You could really boil that down further and say there is just one story and the telling depends on how you perceive it. We'll also allow the nuance of language and history, and that sometimes women go on journeys too. The point is that stories start the same. Here in the UK, children's stories tend to start with the phrase, once upon a time. Perhaps the only occasion where we are described as upon time, as if we're sitting on the ocean, watching waves break against a shore. The Yoruba language, spoken in Nigeria and elsewhere, starts stories with the phrase Here is a story, story it is, which is a great statement of intent and enthusiasm. Polish stories might start with Beyond Seven Mountains and Beyond Seven Forests, which very much suits the vibe of a winter sports podcast. Stories start the same, just as biathlon races start the same, and just as sporting seasons start the same. In the beginning, Everyone is the same. Okay, there's some historic form and a set of expectations. But on day one, everyone has zero points. Whoever is first in the rankings is there because their name begins with A, or because they drew bib number one from a bag. 
The thing with stories is that you don't know how they're going to go. Sometimes it feels like there are sporting certainties. In Formula One, Max Verstappen is going to win every time. The equivalent in men's biathlon is Johannes Tingis Bo. The equivalent in women's gymnastics is Simone Biles. And suddenly we are at a turning point, and a moment when the story becomes less predictable. Because we know from these that the champions don't always win. Rivals emerge, or things just happen. The drama of sport is always in the possibility of surprise. It's that you might hear a story that you've never heard before. And even if the champion does win, it's in how they made it there, or how they made it back there after a struggle, or how, like Simone Biles, and perhaps like Johannes Tingisbo, they have transcended what people thought was possible in a sport and taken it to somewhere new. The American writer Northrop Fry wrote, A journey is a directed movement in time through space. And in the idea of a journey, there are always two elements involved. One is the person making the journey. The other is the road, path or direction taken. The simplest word for this being way. In this biathlon season, we will see many ways to travel. From the tracks in the snow through quiet woods and forests of Europe and North America, to the different tactics and techniques training and nutrition resumes, and the different philosophies and mental journeys that competitors will take. Some of the most compelling stories in biathlon in recent years have been those of struggle. People who have seemingly lost their way and worked to find it again. I will talk a lot about Lisa Vitozzi, an Italian biathlete who has been through this. She went through a phase of just losing all confidence with a rifle which must have been devastating to someone who was just coming to the top of the sport. Last season, she was back, and she was brilliant. The French biathlete Emilien Jacquelin will also get a lot of coverage from me. He's been going through similar struggles in the past 12 months, and took time out to regroup and refocus when the pressure of the journey became too much. I talked last season about mental health from the perspective of mindset and competitiveness, but I expect to talk about it again this year, as it has come much more into the public eye, as more and more athletes share their experiences. So which way will this season take us? Let's start very literally with some geography. Our first Biathlon World Cup meeting will be in Ostersund in Sweden, from the 25th of November through to the 3rd of December. This is a long race meeting, because the season opener typically includes all of the possible race formats, so you'll get plenty of things to watch. Later race meetings will typically run from Thursday through Sunday, and have a selection of the race formats available. Ostersund itself is about halfway up Sweden, around 550 kilometres north of Stockholm. From Sweden, we will travel through Austria, Switzerland, two stops in Germany, and one in Italy before reaching Novo Mesto in Czechia in early February for the World Championships. Now the World Cup is the season-long competition, effectively the Premier League, and the World Championships are the one-off event for a much wider selection of competitors from around the world. After Novo Mesto, there'll be a brief stop in Oslo in Norway, before the Biathlon World Cup Circus heads to the USA and Canada for its season finale in March. Running alongside the Biathlon World Cup, this year I'll also be exploring the Parabiathlon World Cup and World Championship events. 
The full calendar is still being worked out, but there are events scheduled for Pukluka in Slovenia in January, and then a World Cup and World Championship doubleheader in Prince George, Canada in March 2024. The next episode of Ski Shoot Repeat will be a full preview of the Ostersund meet, and I'll give you some more depth on the race formats, some highly favoured athletes, and some ones to watch before the event starts. Once the season is underway, there are a few few ways to watch and keep track of it. Biathlon is a daytime sport, so racing will take place while you're at work on a Thursday and Friday, and then usually lunchtime and early afternoon at the weekends, if you're based in the UK or, or Europe. The easiest way to watch, certainly here in the UK, is online at eurovisionsports.tv. It's free, and racing is shown live and on catch-up video on demand. If you have Eurosport, they will also show many races live. They may not show the full season, but they should pick it up once we get towards Christmas. If you have a Eurosport subscription, then you can also watch on demand to catch up. And this might also work with Discovery Plus, which is linked to Eurosport. Many European countries will show live events with studio teams. This is big sport in Norway, Sweden, Germany, and increasingly in France. Coverage in the US seems to ebb and flow. I would check out the Penalty Loop podcast and their social media feeds, as they will know where to look. Parabiathlon broadcasting is still being discussed, but the World Championships in March will be broadcast, and perhaps the World Cup meets too. Parabiathlon is much more closely aligned with para cross-country. A lot of athletes compete in both. So there are complexities to broadcasting and lots of collaboration between the International Biathlon Union and the FIS, skiing's governing body. So who should you support? Well, that depends on the sporting stories that you like. In men's biathlon, if you like people who win all of the time, then you'll want to follow Johannes Tingisbo. He is extremely fast and extremely accurate. And he's matured over recent years from an over-enthusiastic puppy into a very controlled athlete. Think of how a tennis player starts their career chasing down everything, and then at some point is able to win just by standing in the middle of the court and making their opponent do all of the work. That's Johannes. He has an air of control right now, and he knows he can beat anyone on most days. Most is not all though. So if you'd like some other names to cheer, you could go for the incredibly popular Norwegian number two, Stura Holm Ligrid, whose only mistake was being born around the same time as Johannes Tingisbo. Or you could try the French team, which includes past world champions Quentin Fillon Maillet and Emilien Jacqueline. Or for newer names, the Swiss athlete Nicolas Hartweg and the Italian Tommaso Giacomel, who both really burst onto the scene last year. Women's biathlon is much more open. Last year's champion Julia Simon is returning and is great to watch in the head-to-head racing formats. She is perhaps still the young kid chasing the ball, but she has so much determination it's unreal. With some retirements from the Norwegian team in the off-season, it's probably the Swedish women who will provide the toughest competition, particularly the Erberg sisters Hanna and Elvira. And you'll always get entertainment and great racing from the Italian women, particularly Lisa Vitozzi and Dorothea Vera. I'll go into more detail on some of these in the Osterson preview in the next episode. I'll also talk about the different race formats and why you can expect different athletes to prevail in different situations. One last thing. 
Biathlon as a journey is one of a group of metaphors that get used a lot. A great essay from Lyudmila Osinovskaya and Yulia Shekhovskaya identified types of metaphorical models that get used in biathlon and other sports. As well as the journey metaphor, we often see metaphors of war, so sport as a battle, in an arena, with veterans fighting off the opposition. We also get mechanical metaphors. When things are going well, all cylinders are firing and you can really put the power down. Then there are metaphors of construction or building, having firm foundations or building up a performance brick by brick. When we use the language of gods and heroes, we're using social or mythological metaphors. Earlier in this episode, I mentioned revolution and revolutionaries. Food metaphors are often delightful. There is a Dutch phrase, playing for bacon and beans, where someone is taking part but not competitive. In English, we'd say they're making up the numbers, which is another metaphor in itself. In French, we say that someone is au petit oignon, with small onions, meaning that they're well prepared or cooked well, they're done well. There are also organic metaphors. This is when we talk about team spirit or people fading in and out of contention. And finally, artistic metaphors, biathlon as theatre, ending on a positive note or reaching a crescendo. If you want a challenge through the season, track how many times these metaphors get used, and others too, whether by TV commentators, journalists, or humble podcasters. Thank you for listening. You'll find a transcript of this episode, along with links to all sorts of background information and sources, at skishootrepeat.podbean.com. Please do follow us on social media at Ski Shoot Repeat. And please do get in touch to tell me what's right and what's wrong. Said in previous episodes that this podcast is built more on love than on knowledge, so I do expect to get fact-checked. I'd also love to hear what you'd like me to talk about in future episodes. As I've mentioned, the next episode will be in a couple of weeks' time and will be a preview of the racing in Ostersund as the World Cup biathlon season gets underway. Thank you for listening to Ski Shoot Repeat. I've been Lizzie Boyle.